were you drinking last night or are you just tired? Oh, well, you didn't get a lot of sleep either. Yeah. And I have been up since five. That's true. You know what Good you should time. do? You should go crack open a beer. That'll help. <laughs> I don't own any. <laughs> you don't own any beer. I don't drink. Really? I mean, like, reports coming out of Fear the Con will tell you different. <laughs> but, you know, that's when I choose. I, uh, you know, I don't, like, have alcohol in my house. Gotcha. I used to, but, you know, then it got out of hand, so now yeah. I just reserve it for when I'm going to be able to make a fool of myself in you know, public amongst my peers. Now you just snort coke. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne, and I'm still amazing. This is Jonathan, and I can still be a friend to you. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a very special episode today. And why is it so special, Paul? Because this is the prelude to the Dead Paul Core. The Dead Paul Core. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hold on. Can, can we just stop and think about Dead Paul? <laughs> <laughs> That would be so awesome. Then it would just I be think funny it, books with Aaron and his amazing friends, which would just be a, a gay innuendo. <laughs> it's like it's not already. Yeah. Your endo. Golly. So that so, deteriorated pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. rapidly. Rapidly. <laughs> So driving to work this week, not feeling well, you know, my stomach was upset, had a headache, really wasn't feeling well, cruising along. You would read ultimate books. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm cruising along and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I'm like, damn, I, I got to pull over. So I, I, I pulled off the side of the road and I just kind of, you know, sat there in the car for about 10 minutes, closed my eyes, just kind of recenter myself. I'm like, okay, I'm better. I'm good. I'm good. And so I'm pulling back on. And there's a, a school uh, crossing zone, school zone up ahead. And as I am entering the school zone, all of a sudden I am I am overwhelmed with the need to throw up. And so I rapidly roll my window down, and I mean I shoot breakfast all over the curb, driving at 20 miles an hour because I've not stopped the car. I'm continuing <laughs> to drive. And and as as the as the the vomit you know, ends, I'm like, wow, I, I, that was great. I got it all out of the car and I'm, and I'm feeling a little bad because there are kids in the crosswalk, you know, that I'm approaching that <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> there are the kids in the crosswalk that I'm approaching who have seen, you know, this guy tosses breakfast out the car. There are cars behind me and I, you know, I've got the weakest stomach in the world. So I know that if I had seen that, I'd have thrown up <laughs> and, uh, so I roll the window back up and I'm like, wow, I didn't get it on me. I didn't get it on the car. This is great. And then here came the second wave and it happened so quick. Couldn't get the window down. I threw up all over me, all over my steering wheel, my dashboard, the ceiling of the car, the window and the door. I mean, just puke everywhere. And it is so bad that it's dripping on my head. <laughs> And I'm just I thought I could beat that story until the second wave. <laughs> the second wave just beats out the story I had to tell. So I'm just kind of curious what it must have looked like from the outside. <laughs> you know, did it look like there was some kind of car wash or something going on inside of my car? I mean, you know, is it just this explosion of puke? I mean, I, I, I'm just curious <laughs> as to what other people saw, because I cannot begin to tell you the vast volume of puke that was all over me and my car. So, so as a teacher, I'm in Kentucky with my family and we're going to basically we were there for uh, one of the six flags that were there. And uh, 
there was a concert that was in town that I wanted to go to, so we bought tickets, and we were going to go to this concert. And we're driving along, and suddenly I realize I have to throw up. So, you know, I have my own pull over quickly. I rush over to the side of the road. I grab the railing, and I puke over the side. So after I'm done and I'm starting to feel a little bit better, I glance down and realize I'm on an overpass. There are cars <laughs> below swerving left and right to avoid the falling puke. That's great. I think the reason Aaron probably puked is I think it was probably nerves from being within 100 yards of an elementary school. <laughs> You're like, I hope the cops don't see me, you know, that court order. That's why I drive the wife's car. That court order has never stopped him before. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have only ever thrown up in my car once before. And I was going to work and I, I'd been sick for a while and, you know, I was just trying to go in and, and get a couple of things done so I could, I could, you know, rapidly leave. And I went out to my car and I start the car. And right as the car starts, I feel it coming. So I'm able to open up the door, lean out of the car, and I hurl. And I feel like I had done a pretty good job of getting out of the car, but it happened so quick, I actually kind of splashed my shirt, you know, and actually splashed it quite a bit and filled up my shirt pocket <laughs> where my iPod was. Oh. <laughs> and, and so my iPod, which was face down, so the you know, the, the little place where you sink it is was face up. I mean, all the puke just funnels into the iPod. <clears throat> and I had just bought it like several weeks before, and so I was like, huh, wonder if Apple covers puke. <laughs> Sent it back to Apple and they don't. That <laughs> they don't story's cover- <laughs> funny because it wasn't me. <laughs> Were you listening to Kitchen's Dice Bags? He was listening to our episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, but fortunately this time I didn't throw up on any major electronics, just on me and the rest of my car. Yeah, and your vehicle. Yes, yeah. exactly. Which at the minute we're done yeah, today, I'm that's taking. That's not major electronics. <laughs> hey, it's just my car. Wouldn't my iPod, man? But you know, uh, I think Aaron's the, dying. The minute we're done today, I'm taking my car to get detailed. Because boy, <laughs> it's a little funky. <laughs> 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 and if you're still listening, you're a dick. <laughs> If you're still listening, uh, this is, we are recording this episode in advance of uh, the, the week that we're releasing it uh, because uh, Jonathan, Wayne, and I are going to be busy at Fear the Con at our regular recording time. So we're not going to have new comics to discuss today. So we've got a couple of uh, discussion topics and an interview that we're going to share for you. Because I will not be at Fear the Con. Because uh, Paul's a, a great big slacker. Yeah, well, um, my plans were to drive around to different strip clubs and masturbate in my car, and uh, I just can't change those right now. I can't reschedule on myself. You're committed to that to that we plan. Strip clubs in St. Louis. Yeah, but gaming is going to distract me. Well, and 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 Paul likes those strip clubs where they don't actually have their clothes off that they have out there in Virginia. Yeah, I, I, you know, I like girls in bikinis. I don't go to strip clubs to see naked women. <laughs> <laughs> Paul actually goes to dress clubs. <laughs> yeah, I actually just go to sit fitting rooms and just kind of sit there with $4 bills at the women. <laughs> that's, that's Paul so, um, hanging out over there in junior miss. I just want to apologize in advance to Mike Carey because your interview will be on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> on the future club episode of Funny Books that Aaron Paul and their amazing friends. So, a little Marvel news this week. A lot of Marvel news this week. And, you know, yeah. everything Marvel releases lately, news-wise, just kind of pisses me off. I, uh, I was okay with the announcement of the Avengers. I was kind of pissed with the announcement of the Secret Avengers. Because I just don't like the, the teasers and the way they were doing them. And now they're releasing ads for the new Avengers, which is basically comprised of team members who are on other teams. Other teams. (laughs) And that's a problem. I personally don't get why we need more than one team of Avengers. And there's not more than one Justice League at the moment. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, doesn't the Justice League have like five million members? Well, why not just give the Avengers five million members? Why not just yeah, give them? Because then it would be like Justice League, and it would suck. Oh, oh! <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I used to like the idea of the uh, the Avengers having their core team, but having all of these reserves that they can call in. You know, just about everybody had an Avengers reserve card at one point or another, but they weren't the main team. Yeah. And they didn't have their own separate book for, you know, for a separate team of Avengers. So, uh. Yeah, I think that <laughs> sell books and, uh, you know, they, they need, there's a lot of heroes in the Marvel universe and that's why they, they need, uh, multiple Avengers teams to showcase some of these, uh, these characters. What I don't agree with is taking characters, and I've said multiple times, taking characters from other teams and putting them on another team. So now they, there's no point to it. They're already, you're already making money off that character. Like, make money off a different character. Let's talk about the five reveals this week for the new Avengers. Okay. Okay. There was Luke Cage from the Thunderbolts. He's on Thunderbolts. Spider-Man, who's on Spider-Man Avengers. Well, he's on the the regular Avengers too. Okay. Uh, there was Mocking, not Mockingbird. Yeah, mock. No, not Mockingbird. Um, Jessica Jones. What's Jewel. Jessica Jones? Jewel. 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 Who? Okay, this is probably her team. She's probably the. This is probably her only team. There was um. There was one more, or there were two more. Wolverine. Wolverine, who's on frickin' every other team. And if and, he's not on the team, he's guest starring in the book. Yeah. And finally, The Thing. The freaking Thing. Yeah. I, I just, it, that I, was the one that surprised me the most. I, I, the Fantastic Four don't need to be on other teams. They live, you know, they live together. They're a family. They, they're busy enough as it is. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, this means, this, this means definitely definitively that Marvel is not going to be correcting their continuity issues because <laughs> if the Fantastic Four go off into space, guess where the thing is? He's on Earth and in space. Oh. Oh. And Wolverine in both places, too. Wolverine's all over the damn place. Y- you know, I-, I thought when Secret Invasion started, or when they announced Secret Invasion, I'm like, this is going to be cool because they're going to say the reason Wolverine is an eight damn places at the same time <laughs> it's because seven of them are clones are scrolls did you ever see how she hulk dealt with that there there was an issue of she hulk where they were trying to deal with uh marvel continuity basically and they revealed that there was a earth b basically that those people had no powers whatsoever but when they came into our universe they got the powers of their version here so basically, they tried to say that because She-Hulk was a comedy book and they uh, they were dealing with breaking the third wall and all in there, they were basically came out and said, yeah, all these continuity issues, all these wrong costumes are because the people there have been reading the old Marvel Age, you know, the uh, Marvel Universe uh, encyclopedia, and they never bothered to update their information. <laughs> it was stupid it was funny and it actually made more sense than some of the real answers they've given in marvel titles but we know the oh, real you reason like, uh, you mean like who cares yeah <laughs> just enjoy the book I, I i you know normally i could get past it you know we've had this discussion before i can get past it new avengers is just like unless there's a good reason this is just like a smack in the face yeah to everyone who supports continuity. Well, and, and if and, they're destroying the Avengers teams and putting them out, aren't they all new Avengers now? Why is this team newer than the other new Avengers that are being put together? Yeah. Just saying. And why are they called new Avengers? I mean, would you prefer fresh Avengers? No, <laughs> I would prefer, you know, mighty <laughs> Avengers or, you know, urban Avengers or Paul's Avengers. You know, are, you know, I don't get why they're the new Avengers. You know, they haven't been new in a while to begin with, and now they're, I don't know, just bugs me. I'm sorry, Paul. Damn it. Ugh. You know, my biggest gripe on the new Avengers lineup is is the thing. He just, I love the thing, and I like to see him in other places, but, I mean, he is so deeply entrenched in the Fantastic Four. Unless he's leaving the team, which, you know, happens from time to time, uh, I, I just don't see him over there in New Avengers. I mean, I, you know, they, 
I don't mind they seeing are. some of these other guys there, but that bugs me. They also Aaron gave especially loves to see the thing in his room. That's his favorite place to see him <laughs> in <Yeah>. his bed. <laughs> They also gave a preview for the one-shot Siege Fallen, and if they do any print previews of this, I I won't read it because I don't want it to be spoiled, but they are, well, they're not hinting. They come out and say there's going to be a big death at the end of Siege that's going to trigger the heroic age, but I personally am hoping they don't spoil it because I've seen too many big secrets spoiled recently in comics. The uh, All the news articles about Buffy was a good example, mm-hmm. that they spoiled the who Twilight was going to be. And that could have actually been a decent payoff, but you know it's out there months beforehand. Well, I think it's going to be Tigra. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that wasn't the only new announcement this week, or new announcement, announcements and new announcements, fresh this announcements, week. fresh announcements, urban, the announcements. urban announcements. <laughs> <laughs> there is also the announcement that um, after the current arc, Punisher will be retitled Frankencastle, which goes to show you. That you won't be buying the title for even longer now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he did yep. say he did say in interviews he does have an end for this in in mind, but it's a long way out. So we'll still have Franken Castle for quite a while. Well, what pisses me off, right? Is well, that... I won't have it because I'm not buying it. But <laughs> well, what pisses me off is I've begun to really like Dokken and Dark Wolverine. Okay. And we all know that one of our favorite moments of 2009, if not our favorite moment of 2009, was the death of the Punisher at Dokken's hand. Well, one of the Frankencastle arcs will be a crossover with Dark Wolverine with Punisher getting his revenge on Dokken. And damn it, if I don't want to read that, but I don't want to buy Frankencastle. Uh, I noticed, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, took a look at May, but I noticed that uh, Wolverine... <laughs> I look at her all the time. Oh Every yeah. Chance I get. <laughs> Ooh, it is a brand new day. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing to do uh, about that. <laughs> uh that uh it, when the heroic age begins there will be no more Dark Wolverine, which makes me wonder what happens to Dokken. I, I I have heard that Dokken's storyline will be coming to an end soon. Maybe not. Maybe as Dark Wolverine. I don't know. Uh, I I again, you know, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago at this point. <sighs> I think just freaking kill Logan and uh, have Dokken take his place for a while. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm with you. But one of the another announcement from Marvel. Well, it's not even an announcement. It's a teaser. It's a, a teaser art poster that was awkward um (laughs) that just says we are the x-men and it's got a big silver x dripping with blood on it now unfortunately i couldn't get any information out of mike carey on it i mean i wouldn't anticipate i would have been able to but i tried but obviously you know they're saying the x-men will tie into the heroic age uh post second coming which is about a a million part storyline there was a an X-Men Second Coming book this week, or that's in comic stores now, that's free. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was pretty psyched about it because I walked into the comic shop, and on the counter he has a stack of uh, Invincible Iron Man number ones written by Matt Fraction and a stack of X-Men Second Coming Prepare number one written by Mike Carey. And I'm like, I've talked to both of those guys. That's didn't awesome. That come out a, didn't that come out a couple weeks ago, though? Which one? The X-Men Second Coming? It actually came yeah. out uh, by the time people were listening to this two weeks ago, but it should hopefully still be at your comic shop. If not, your comic shop sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you might be going to the same one Jonathan does. Now, you know... John? Oh, go ahead. I'm not an X-Men guy, and uh, so I, I'm not real sure what I'm being prepared for. You know, I, I, I've, I've got a little bit of the... Uh, the X-Men, you know, what's going on in the X-Men universe from, from you guys. But uh, uh, tell me a little bit uh, for our readers and for me, you know, what the current storyline is. I know that, you know, hope's a big deal. I know that, uh, you know, we've had some stuff going on with Utopia and Necrotia. How is all this boiling up into second coming? I was waiting for Jonathan to take that one because Jonathan's, you know, Cable's bitch. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, I mean, <clears throat> basically, uh, you know, Hope's coming back to, uh, well, not even coming back, but I don't know why they call it second coming. It should be first coming. Well, but we all know it's going to be Jean Grey, so I guess it is second coming. But even then, it'd be like 19th yeah, coming or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, still uh, hope I guess that sounded as good. I still hope it won't be Jean. I mean, I think the Phoenix Force is what's, you know, coming, not, I'm hoping that she, Hope isn't going to become the new Jean, but she, I do think she'll be the new Phoenix. Then she's pretty much the new Jean. She's a, uh, a redhead with telekinesis who would then also yeah. have the Phoenix Force. The only thing she wouldn't have is all the continuity back in her. And sex with Cyclops. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a little weird. Well, she's seven. She's. I was about to say she's seventeen. She's eighteen, isn't she? I'm waiting for her and Cable to bang. <laughs> now, who are her now parents? That would be weird. Who Who is Hope's parents? I don't know. Some people. So, what, do we know why she's Hope Summers? I mean, yes. was she adopted? Okay. So let's fill in the blanks Thank for you. Aaron, since Jonathan did such a piss poor job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Hope, and she's back. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, at the X-Men, at the end of House of M, what's her face? Scarlet Witch said no more mutants. Right. There were 198 mutants left after that. Right. So, and because of that, not only were there only 198 mutants left, no mutants were being born. There were no new mutants after that. Um, and then Messiah Complex came along and a new mutant was born and it was Hope, uh, the baby Hope. And, um, basically, be, because, you know, everyone flocked because of the birth of the first mutant baby since M-Day. How um, did they know that she was a mutant? Well, X-Men had Cerebro. Um, I don't know what everyone else had, honestly. I haven't actually read Messiah Complex in a long time. Okay, uh, so I didn't think Cerebro could detect until the powers manifested. Oh, <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> I'm just giving you the story. Not the details. I'm sorry. Did I, did I ask for continuity? I, <laughs> and then Wolverine was there and the thing was there and they were in space too. No. Um, <laughs> so there's this big battle, right? With During X-Men Messiah Complex, Mr. Sinister wanted to be involved. I don't know. All this shit happened. Um, but basically what ultimately happened is Bishop thought that Hope would be the baby that would cause his future. He tries to kill her. He ends up shooting Professor X in the head. Um, Cyclops tasks his son, Cable, Nathan Summers, with taking Hope and escaping into the future um, with her to keep her safe until she could come of age and her mutant powers could really manifest themselves and she could defend herself or whatever. Um, so Cable, Nathan Summers, has adopted Hope Summers kind of as his child, so I hope they don't bang. Um, and they're kind of jumping through the future uh, because Cable's time machine for a while could only jump forward in the future. They couldn't jump back. I see. Um, all the while, Bishop chasing <clears throat> them throughout time, trying to, to get to Hope. Okay. So, so hope, now Hope is they, no blood relation to Scott Summers. Correct. Okay. And so now that Cable's time machine has the ability to come back in time and hope is ready, they are coming back to the present, um, thus beginning excellent second coming. Gotcha. Well, thank you, Paul. That was very concise. Jonathan, that's how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <clears throat> so the uh, preview book is kind of a uh, – a I guess it takes place a couple of days after Second Coming. Yeah, it, it, it says prepare, but it, it, it looks it actually more looks like pieces from within the story or after the story than it does actual preparation for the story. And so it interviews, um, you know, several characters, you know, from the story and, and kind of, you know, uh, like, for instance, is that Iceman on, in the, uh, on the first page? Is that who that is? I would venture to say yes. Okay. So, you know, his comment is, you know, they were all there on Utopia, and he says, well, it was kind of like the Anima, Alamo with an ocean view. So, you know, you're getting little hints of how the how the story is going to go based on some some 
retrospective comments from the heroes that are part of that story. And I, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of effective for that. I mean, I, I don't think it's effective enough for me to go pick it up simply because I, I, I uh, I'm afraid of all the X-Men, you know, backstory baggage. But, you know, as someone sitting on the outside, I, I was intrigued. I was interested. Uh, I will definitely I'm looking forward to it. I, okay. I want to jump back into X-Men. I mean, I miss enjoying X-Men titles. So I think either, I don't know if this is the place to jump in or if it'll be right after Second Coming. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to jump in at the beginning of it anyway and spend my money on yet another crossover that I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and... I'm kind of hoping they clean house. I, I'm hoping for a lot of mutant death. To kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's our theme. You know, uh, kill them all. Um, I'd like to see B return just so he can be beheaded. And I want to know if he runs around without his head on. Hmm. <laughs> I thought you said beast for a second. I'm like, no, beast. Who do you? <laughs> no, I like beast. Okay. Basically anyone that Grant Morrison created when he was writing X-Men. <laughs> Basically, anyone that Grant Morrison has ever written. Okay, so... You could throw Batman and Damian Wayne in there, too. In the scene with Magneto, there's someone that's under a shroud, you know, so there's somebody dead there in that scene. Any guesses on who that might be? You know, I don't know. Um, You know, in the Mike Carey interview that everyone's about to listen to, um, he did say that Rogue and Magneto are big pieces of X-Men legacy coming out of uh, Second Coming. so I would imagine that's not Rogue. And I'm wondering if it's not... I'm going to throw out Xavier again. How many times does he have to die? But, yeah, my guess is Xavier. <clears throat> Only once if you do it right. Just saying. You know what? <laughs> Apparently no one has. <laughs> but I would be okay with Xavier dying and Magneto taking his place as that role. Because mm-hmm. um, if you look, actually, on the cover of this book, Xavier isn't even there. Good point. On the cover of this. So, yeah. Um, and in fact, is he, I know he's nowhere in the preview, but is he even in on any of the covers for Second Coming? Uh, yeah, well, a little flipping in the back, I don't see him. Yeah, because the preview art of uh, Second Coming number one by David Finch, he's mm-hmm. not there. I know he's not on the cover by Adi Granov. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would venture to say, you know, Xavier maybe biting the bullet for the 19th time. Okay, so flip the page, <laughs> and you've got somebody on an operating table on the next page, and of course, you know, their face is obscured by by uh, uh, the overhead lighting. I'm guessing that's Emma Frost. What do you guys Why think? Why would you say that? Well, you know, th- there's a comment, uh, uh, you know, what do you think this is doing to Scott? It does look like it's a woman on the table. We don't see Emma on any of the other pages, though we do see Hope uh, over there with Cable. Um, uh, I'm just, I, I'm just, you know, I, I felt like that was kind of pointed. What do you think this is doing to Scott? That's probably a good point. Um, you know, Emma, Emma Frost has been, and I don't, uh, no, I'm pretty sure she still is. She's in her diamond state permanently right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because when she was doing battle with the century during Utopia, she took a piece of the void inside of her, <laughs> um, <laughs> and she <laughs> she has to stay. Now that she's diamond. diamond, she won't be taking much else inside of her. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I hope that century sex was good sex, um, because she has to stay in that diamond state, or else the the void gets out of you know the the, the void escapes. So she's been in that diamond state since. Um, but if Sentry bot, you know, bites the bullet during, uh, uh inc- inc- incorrect, sir. I'm incorrect. To, yes. Correct me. Uh, the whole thing with the void piece inside her has been resolved. Oh, has it? So what so, happened? <laughs> it was uh, basically, oh, damn it. What do you need to Basically, do? uh, through the help of Psylocke and Professor Xavier, Cyclops enters into Emma Frost's mind. Uh, to uh, attempt to remove the void that was uh, sort of corrupting her and taking her over. Uh, And it ends up uh, possessing Cyclops, uh, but then Emma Frost goes in and and, uh, takes care care of business. Business. (laughs) All right. And, uh, yeah, that was it. It was like a a two-issue thing. It was done. 
Well, and and, and it the, was a side story as opposed to what's really going on in the issue. In the so cover there. previews in the back, <laughs> there there is a a scene with uh, uh, Hope, well, who I guess is Hope, and Emma Frost, and you know Hope's all bloody, but she's getting blood on uh, on Emma, and so I, I'm mm-hmm. kind of inclined to believe that's Emma Frost on that surgery table. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I am. I, I like the cut of your jib, sir. <laughs> I knew that you are a jib man. <laughs> <laughs> so any other thoughts on uh x-men second coming well um last week we we didn't talk about it but x-men hope was released yeah and uh if you're not following the x-men books um this was just a series of short stories um that went throughout uh, the x-men books for a month i think there's four of them total um but if you're not reading cable this is pretty much a good summary of what's happened throughout cable um, you know, and of Hope's relationship with him. And it, it, it'd probably be a good thing to pick up before you pick up Second Coming number one. Yeah, I had read some of those in the back issues, but I hadn't read all of them. So I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised by some of the parts of the story that I didn't have. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, and I, it's actually a good read, too. So I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, and uh, it leads into Second Coming, just like this Second Coming Prepare does. And just like our interview with Mike Carey, will too. Hi, I'm Mike Carey, um, author of Lucifer, uh, X-Men Legacy, The Unwritten, and the Caster novels. And you're listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Paul. What was that last one? Did you say the Castle novels? The Caster novels. The uh, Caster. I, I have five novels, um, which are uh, the adventures of uh, a freelance exorcist, Felix Caster. Ah, fantastic. So tell us a little bit about that, actually. Um, I, I will say, it sounds like I haven't done research, but I did on your comics work. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's true. You know, a lot of people uh, don't know that I do novels as well. Um, the Casa novels are, well, they're supernatural crime thrillers. The protagonist is a, a freelance exorcist called Felix Casta. He's a guy who, uh, he's not a, a religious man, he's not a zealot, he's not somebody who is um, on a crusade of any kind, but he has this gift, which he was born with. He can see the dead, and he can bind the dead, and he can dispel the dead, he can banish them, and he's turned this into a career. And there are a, a lot of people who are in the same position, people who have that skill. And this is in a, in a world where the dead have started to rise in very large numbers and in very antisocial forms. So there is a, there's a living to be made from exorcism. And the most recent one of that was Vicious Circle? No, Vicious Circle is the second. Um, in the U.S., there are now three which are available. The Devil You Know, Vicious Circle, and I'm trying to think what the third one is. Um, can't remember. But the most recent one in the UK is The Naming of the Beast, which is the fifth novel. So we're behind. We are way behind. Yeah, there's a, yeah, the, the, there's a uh, rotating deal between the, the UK and US publishers. So, Dead Men's Boots, Boots was the third novel, sorry. Oh, okay. Dead Men's Boots. So, you know, one thing that I'm going to talk about, you know, with, with pretty much everything uh, that we're going to talk about today is, or ask you about, is the amount of research that you put into some of your work. Because all of the stuff that you've written for comics, I can tell, requires a ton of research. So, I mean, you know, when you're writing your novels, you're, you're five novels in, what type of research did that involve to, you know, to create that character in that world? I, I, I guess I research settings, locations, very, very seriously. Um, there's, there's kind of a sense in which a lot of the, um, the, the, the hard... Uh, spade work was done a long time ago. I was an English major at college, and I, t- I tend to write books that bear very heavily on literary themes of one sort or another. So in the first cast of novel, um, there are references to Blake and to Milton and you know to, to, to locations in London which have a, a sort of literary resonance. So I, I kind of deal with stuff that I already have a, a solid feel for. Um, where I do need to do in-depth research, I mostly do it um, at second hand. I mostly do it from the internet. An exception to that would be when I when I did Voodoo Child mm-hmm. uh, for Virgin Comics. 
because it was set in New Orleans and I knew nothing whatsoever about New Orleans. I went out uh, about a year after Katrina and I spent uh, a week or so there. Um, in the in the immediate, it was I'd, I'd been invited to to MegaCon in Florida, uh, and I, I extended the, the the trip and went out there and interviewed a lot of people and sort of toured the place extensively, took a lot of location photographs. Um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is my my research model is on a lot of stuff I bluff and I use the internet. If I really, <laughs> if I really feel it's something that I'm ignorant about. I will go out there and I will do the research first. And so, you know, you mentioned Voodoo Child, which was a Virgin Comics. Um, I know that had to deal with Nicolas Cage and his son, if I remember correctly. That's right. Um, so, how was how was that experience writing? You know, it, it was kind of a high profile project. A lot of the Virgin Comics, you know, were high pro- profile projects dealing with some type of movie star or something to that effect. It was a really interesting process. I mean, Nicholas and Weston Cage came up with the initial idea. I fleshed it out. Um, They had always wanted to refer to the modern-day situation in New Orleans. So I I picked up that hint, and I put in a lot of political reference. Um, As I said, I I went out there, and and I talked to a lot of people, and I tried to put um, some of those first-hand experiences of the post-Katrina situation into the book. Um, it was it was a it was a really fascinating experience. It was a different kind of um, genre fusion from anything I'd done before. I mean, obviously, to some extent, it was horror, but it was horror with a political edge, with a social agenda, and I, I found I found it a really fascinating experience. So you know, with with the horror bent, you know, a lot of your work does seem to have some type of horror bent. Of course, you know, then there's a little bit more opposite end of the spectrum with your big superhero action. Um, but is horror something you more gravitate to because of personal interest? Is it just something that maybe you just got known for because of your work on Lucifer? You know, how, do you like horror? Um, I like, yeah, I like horror. I like movie horror. It, it, it's interesting. I, I, I've read relatively little um, literary horror. Yeah, you know, horror novels, horror comics. Uh, I'm, I'm not so well up on those. I, I watch a lot of horror movies. But there was a long period when horror comics were just not scary, when basically there was this strange contract going on. Um, horror comics were coming out, but they weren't, they weren't really horror comics. They were, they were comics with twist endings. They were just stories that had a, had a, little, a little sting in the tail that was meant to, to give you a free song. But they were a couple of decades at least behind prose horror. And then I, I, think, I think Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman, in their different way, is kind of reinterpreted what you could do um, in, in, in the comic book medium with horror material. And, and uh, I, 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 love, I love Swamp Thing. I think Swamp Thing is a genuinely, um, you know, it, it's a magnificent horror comic. And it sort of, um, it has a few moments that actually bring you slap up against something that you can't even bear to contemplate. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely love the Swamp Thing stuff. You know, it's... And, you know, Vertigo Comics in general um, have done a lot. You know, maybe, you know, as far as horror comics are concerned, obviously they're not solely horror comics, but comics with hor- horrific elements, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, all throughout their run, since starting with Hell, you know, with Hellblazer and, you know, even today with... A portion of the unwritten, even though it's not a horror comic, there are very horrific, actually issues or scenes, um, you know, that have the tension of a good horror film. Um, you know, the one I'm, oh, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we 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 definitely reference horror conventions, and we do it by sort of using horror tropes. I mean, that 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 was deliberate. That first arc has some payoffs, which I hope are, are horrific and and. Um, and are arresting. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I asked you on is because we're big fans of The Unwritten on the show and on the site. Um, and this kind of comes back again to the research thing, because one thing I like about certain writers is that you can tell the amount of research that went into a project. And when I read The Unwritten, it, it just 
it feel it, it it almost feels like there's more than just the story that you're reading because there's so much research behind the scenes. There are so many literary references. I mean, are 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 you just that well read? I mean, that, that is. I mean, there are so many references that I, even sometimes I have to look up um, because I mean, there's just uh, it just feels like there's just a bevy of research that goes into writing that tale. We, we've had a weird experience with the unwritten, um, and it's 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 kind of hard to explain it. There's a story from the American Civil War, and I'm, I'm going to get the details wrong because I can't remember the names of the two generals. But you have um, a Union general who is watching the movements of a Confederate general, and he says at a certain point, you know, that idiot has uh, made his camp at the confluence of three major roads and two major rivers. I hope he moves on before he realizes his advantage. Um, there, there are just moments when you just you pitch a story in the perfect place, and it's not because you know it's the perfect place. You just you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the story in this way, set up the story in this way. Um, this, this is the pitch, this is the, the core concept. And then... All sorts of things just kind of come tumbling in from all directions, and you realize, wow, you know, I I didn't know that stuff, but it works, it fits. With the unwritten, for every uh, every day I spend researching, I just get like the equivalent of two days worth of um, of rewards. Like I, I get all these things where it turns out that the way I want to take the story. Yeah, the universe is already set up in that way. The links are already there. Um, the connections are made, and we can do it. it it's 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 a, a sort of wild landscape full of coincidences that all work in our favor. So when you went into, or you know, when when the work began on putting together the story that is the unwritten, did you have do you have a definitive mind in end you know in or de- f- definitive end in mind? Um, we, for that tale, we, we we yes we do we 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 know exactly where we're going in the long term. Um, this was something we learned when we were working on Lucifer together. It's it's okay to be vague about the immediate future if you know what the ultimate endpoint is. So when we pitched the unwritten, we pitched the first year in a lot of detail, the second year in somewhat lesser detail, yeah, somewhat sketchier detail, and the ending with pinpoint clarity. We know what the payoff is. Um, and that frees you up then along the way to just play with ideas, to um, play with character beats, and to explore wherever the story takes you. And it's it's such a unique way of telling the story. One thing I like about The Unwritten is, you know, a lot of comics, you can pick up a comic and seven to ten minutes later you know you're done reading it maybe 15 20 you know depending on the comic but there's so much going on in the unwritten and you have a lot of text pieces in it um that you know it it, it, it takes a little bit more to read you you're, you you slow down a little bit to kind of gather where it's going and understand the story so it, it's really just a very intriguing read it's it's a comic that doesn't come along very often i think one of the things we wanted to do was to sort of play with the, the different ways and reference the different ways in which people um, relate to stories in the 21st century. So from a very early point in the process, we decided we were going to reference web pages, message boards, um, TV, all of that stuff, um, uh, various kinds of um, electronic media, and kind of reflect the... I guess the instantaneous nature of messages, of storytelling uh, in, our, in our modern era, it's a very important part of what we're doing, I think. That we're, we're looking at the way people interact with stories, and the way people interact with stories has changed uh, out of all recognition within our lifetimes. So, you know, the, the inspiration for the story, I, I kind of would love to talk about what kind of inspired this for you. Obviously, there are there are references between, or you know, there are um, allusions to to the the boy wizard in American literature, or you know, not American literature, but you know, literature nowadays. You know, to Tommy Taylor. Yeah. And you know, the the power that a character like that and a series like that has over its readers. 
Um, it's kind of an ongoing theme throughout the series. Yeah, I mean, we 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 wanted to um, we wanted to have an anchor point in popular culture, and we talked um, for a long time about what that should be. Um, choosing the boy wizard archetype, in, in in a way, it was it was a it was a given. Um, you know, Peter had worked for so long on books of magic with um, the, the character of Tim Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there is the, the parallel, if you want to make it, with Harry Potter. Um, and we don't, we, don't, we don't duck that parallel. Um, the Boy Wizard is, is an archetype which is very, very prevalent in modern literature and modern media. And it, and it gives readers uh, an immediate end to the story, I think, which is what we wanted. We wanted a um, protagonist to be immediately connected to something which would have associations for most of the people picking up the comic. I like that parallel between you know the comic world and the real world, and it, it, it is very timely because even though it's a very classic archetype, like you mentioned, I mean stories that I read as a child involve some type of maybe not boy wizard, but a boy who gains some type of magical power or magic sword or something to that effect, you know that hero's journey. Um, but to the extent that it is nowadays, is you know it, it nowadays it's. Of course, you know, bringing back to Harry Potter, it's such a huge thing right now. Right. Um, so it feels very timely. Um, and in the, addif- the addition of uh, the blogs and the message boards and all those references throughout, you know, it just feels like a very timely tale, which is very, I, you know, I, I really enjoy about the book. You are, your, uh, I guess this is technically your third arc. Just began. Um, your third large arc, because uh, there was the first arc, then there was the prison arc, and I guess this would kind of be the start of the new arc, yep. um, just began, and there's a lot of mysteries in here. Um, spoilers for anyone who's not um, fully caught up on the series yet, is that Tommy Taylor has just escaped from prison. Um, obviously, there was a very tragic end to that storyline um, that had been kind of built up um, in the characters. And uh, so you, you've got this new arc going. And uh, what can you tell us a little bit about what's what's happening in this arc? Right. Well, um, we're, we're obviously from you know right from square one, we've been playing with the question of how fiction and reality intertwine. You know how the interface between the real world and the fictional world operates. I guess. The current arc is um, is one that scuffs over that um, that threshold um, in, in a surprising way. We we have um, Tom and his his friends, his allies, um, Richie Savoy and Lizzie Hexham, leaving the real world behind and going into something which is arguably neither a real world nor a, nor a fictional world. It, it, it's a sort of it's sort of strange um, liminal space. And it relates to a particular story, Yud Seuss. Uh, I won't say any, any more about that, but going forward, what, what, what we're seeing is that kind, of, um, that kind of permeability between reality and fiction becoming more and more the, the central focus of, of, of the book. Um, we got Tom talking to somebody who is a, a great storyteller, but a, a scary and um, unreliable storyteller. Joseph Goebbels, who is the, um, the propaganda minister for the Third Reich. You know, he was Hitler's um, go-to guy when it came to selling the German people on um, the Holocaust and other um, indefensible ideas. Goebbels is somebody who knows everything about how to push people's buttons, how to make people buy into an idea, buy into a story. And Yudsus, the current arc in The Unwritten, brings Tom face-to-face with Goebbels. Hmm. And so, is this arc going to primarily focus on that story, or are we going to re- see a return of the... Um, a lot of things had kind of started uh, right before Tommy went to, or Tom went to prison, um, including the book company receiving the new Tommy Taylor novel. Is that something we'll see in this arc or in future arcs? 
in the next arc. Yeah, the uh, the fourteenth Tommy Taylor novel is something that you will see. Um, it's 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 central to issue thirteen and the arc that starts. Yeah, that that sort of kicks off our second year. So moving over to Marvel Comics. Um, we've got a lot of fans uh, and a lot of listeners who love your X-Men work. Um, you know, your work right now on X-Men Legacy. And uh, I've actually just started reading X-Men Legacy as part of the Necrotia crossover. Right. And, um, you know, obviously we're building up to the big second coming storyline, which is a game changer for pretty much all of the X titles. Yep. Um, now, before we get into the second coming, um, w- with a story that's, as large and intricate as Necrotia or Second Coming, how do you coordinate that with the other writers involved in the storyline that may be um, United States-based? Okay, yeah, um, I really this um, this sort of hinges on the editors playing their role, and the uh, the X Men office at Marvel is composed of yeah a crack team of uh, four four people who love the books, um, are, are sort of passionately committed to the books and are really, really good at communication. And you know, part of their job is to keep us talking to each other, to make sure that each of us knows exactly what's going on in the other books at any given time. And in the run up to something like Second Coming, um, actually sort of hosts uh, extended dialogues, uh, face-to-face meetings, uh, and um, just, just generally make sure that the, the critical mass um, is hit. And, and then the, the momentum is kept up. Um, we share drafts, we share scene breakdowns, we comment on each other's work throughout. There are conference calls uh, regularly. Uh, in between the conference calls, um, Nick Lowe, who is the, the main editor on these books, will send out artwork when it comes in, will send out lettering drafts when they come in, and so on. Um, so really, um, we're... We're, we're all constantly checking in with each other. We're making sure that we're on the same page at each point so that it genuinely feels like a shared story. It was, um, I guess it was a model that, that we trialed with Messiah Complex and it worked really well there. So we're using it again with no variations for Second Coming. You know, X-Men Legacy features kind of a, a, a real mix of some of the more classic characters. Oop, can you hear me? Yeah. Great. Uh, of some of the more classic characters like Nightcrawler, Rogue, and now Magneto, who's playing a large role in the title, and some of the newer characters in the X-Men universe. And how do you decide which characters that you want to play within the team? Um, to a large extent, it's really just um, I, I, I get to cherry pick. The, the, the brief is very loose for X-Men Legacy. I mean, obviously it's a Rogue-centric book, but the supporting cast is all of the young mutants that who Rogue um, is, is supporting and is meant to be uh, helping. So I get my pick of those characters. And also when something like Necrotia comes up, I get to use more established characters like Psylocke, Magneto, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Husk, and so on. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a no-lose um, scenario, really. Mm-hmm. So with that focus on Rogue, um, will we see that continue throughout... Uh, second coming and you know avoiding obviously anything you can't tell us but perhaps post second coming um, yeah very definitely um, I mean post second coming it's still Rogue's book it is, it's still very, very much Rogue's book for the duration of second coming we're using the same structural model that we use for Messiah Complex which means that um, for those three months all of the books that are participating in the crossover suspend their normal storylines and they, they become chapters in the big overarching story. So for those three months, I will not just be dealing with Rogue, I'll be dealing with the, the larger cast and so will everybody else. But Rogue has a part to play, a very significant part to play in that story. And a couple of actually listener submitted questions. Um, and this is uh, from one of our co-hosts, Jonathan. He, w- he was curious about the emphasis on Nightcrawler. He's a big fan of Nightcrawler and, and noticed a bit more of emphasis on Nightcrawler in your title lately. I wondered you know, what, if you had any plans for Nightcrawler or if you were a fan of the character. I'm very much a fan of the character. He plans for using him again. Um, I do get to write, to write him in Second Coming. There are some beats in Second Coming where, where I'll be writing Nightcrawler. Um, Basically, though, um, it's 
it's hard to talk about that in the longer term because I, I, I have to work within the parameters of what's going on in the in the other titles. I, I, I tend to use characters who are being neglected, and he's not. You know, he's getting a fair amount of attention at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I tend to sort of um, keep my eye open for characters who I love and characters who I feel confident about voicing who are not currently appearing in one of the other books. I'll just snap them up. But, but Nightcrawler has a very big part to play in Second Coming. Um, and you, know, you, 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 will, you will see a lot of him in that context. Well, and it feels... And again, I'm new to X-Men Legacy as a reader. Um, I'm only familiar with the Necrotia storyline. Uh, actually, Jonathan has been reading the title for much longer, and uh, he loves loves uh, the title. Um, and, you know, it feels to me almost like... I'm sorry? I said that's very cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, it feels to me almost like uh, there was a building up of this team, especially with the you know the addition of Magneto. And is Magneto going to continue in X Men Legacy, or uh, you know for for as long as he can? Well, there's a, there's a really good interaction, a really satisfying interaction between Magneto and Rogue. We see it in the Necrotia arc. We see it in two, three, four, which is the one off before Second Coming. Mm-hmm. Um, Magneto obviously um, will be central to the events of Second Coming, and moving forward, yeah, I I, I want to keep him in focus because I, I I enjoy writing him. He's a he's a fantastic iconic character. You know, one of the one of the most sort of compelling personalities I think um, in X Men continuity, and there is there is a fascinating dynamic between him and Rogue. So yes, um, he he will. Uh, I, I guarantee, after the second coming, you will continue to see Magneto in Legacy. You know, Hope and Cable have kind of been off, off in the future for for the last couple of years since Messiah Complex, and um, you know, this is the first time uh, since Messiah Complex that we're getting a line-wide X-Men crossover. You know, even Necrotia only crossed over into a couple of titles. Um, you know, this is a big deal. Uh, this is a culmination of years and years of X-Men stories. Um, you know, what does the return of hope mean to to the team in in your book? That is that is the central question. What does the return of hope mean? And um, everybody has a different answer for it. In theory, uh, it could mean everything. It could mean the the, you know, the total turnaround of fortunes and the future of the mutant race. She is she has been hailed as the mutant messiah. That's the upside. Mm-hmm. The downside is um, she has no powers, as far as we know. Well, at least she has no idea what her powers are. Um, she's coming back to the time in which she was born, the time in which her destiny is going to be played out, and she's coming back into a situation where everybody she meets is going to have huge expectations of her. You know, at the end of the day... She's the one who gets to live this life. She's the one who has to make the, uh, the, the the crucial decisions. And at the moment, it's all up for grabs. It's a big blank slate. And giving the um, giving the lifestyle in which she was raised, you know, with the the constant running and the constant fighting, you know, she's she's a very different character um, than I think anyone would expect her. To be, you know, when the baby was born, um, I don't think anyone expected that she would have such a hard life growing up. Um, oh yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious to see her interaction when she comes back to the present, you know, to uh, deal with the current characters. That's absolutely true. Yeah, she's 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 had this this incredible um, uh, apprenticeship, I guess, to Cable. And then, and one of the weird side effects of that is that she's almost Cyclops' granddaughter. She's been brought up by Cable, who is Cyclops' son. Um, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weird kind of cross-generational dynamic going on. You know, it's funny now that you mentioned that. That that's very true. That that is a very different way of looking at it. It sounds like, which is going to make Jonathan and of course myself now very happy. Uh, you're you're going to be with Legacy post Second Coming, or on yeah, I, an X Men title post Second Coming. Yeah, um, I, I I'm still I'm still planning Legacy arcs. I, I yeah, you know, I have to hope to stay with uh, with Legacy for uh, for a long time to come. I love this book. Yeah, and uh, you know, again, one thing that I think is hard 
and speaking from experience, one thing that I find most readers are scared of is in the X-Men universe, there are so many characters. It, it makes it, you know, I, I think readers are kind of scared of that. Um, but I, I've been picking up kind of X-Force throughout its run off and on. And again, the Necrotia storyline is what brought me to X-Men Legacy. And picking up X-Men Legacy, you know, most of the characters are characters that I remember from when I was reading X-Men. You've got Nightcrawler, Colossus, Rogue, Magneto, you know, some some of the more, you know, the, the, the more classic characters, you know, and I didn't feel lost. Um, right. Which is, you know, one thing that I was trepidatious about jumping back into the X-Men universe. Um, but I think between, you know, writers like yourself, uh, Chris Yost and Craig Kyle, um, and I'm sorry? Craig, Craig, Craig Yost and Chris Kyle. Craig Yost and Chris Kyle. Of course, I keep doing that. Um, and uh, Matt Fraction. You know, you guys have created a very accessible universe considering how many characters there are. Um, so, you know, kudos to you guys because it, it, it's, I can imagine that's an unruly universe. And I've heard that before um, from writers trying to get into the universe. I mean, how do you decide, you know, which, which characters to focus on? Um, really, I, I, I guess because it is such a big canvas, you're, you're, you're able to take it in any direction you want to go. You know, you, 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 you can molest, um, follow your own instincts. At any given time, there are going to be um, a couple of dozen characters who are in the core cast, and maybe a couple of dozen more who are in the penumbra, who are um, a little bit out out of the center focus, but um, but are still are still important. Um, when I when I first started writing X Men, uh, that that was one of the, the questions I was asked: Who would be your core team? Who do you want to bring in? Um, I guess the continuity is daunting to a certain extent, but um, it's also exciting. It, it, if you if you love the books, if you've lived with the books for a long time, um, it's it's not that terrifying. You, you're inevitably going to have gaps in your knowledge, but yeah. you can fill them in. And you know, what other kind of job can you do where you can spend an entire day reading X-Men comics and say this is work? <laughs> You know, and uh, we had Matt Fraction on uh, the show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about this, you know, uh, something very similar. You know, it's from an outsider's perspective, it almost seems like there is too much continuity to follow. But the way in which a lot of these tales are told, a lot of these stories are told, if you just pick up the book and you read it, none of us have found ourselves lost, even jumping in in the middle of an arc. Um, like myself with Necrotia, you know, or, um, you know, I picked up Utopia, uh, from, uh, you know, Dark Avengers and X-Men at the same, you know, uh, as well. It, there's, it, it's, again, it, it is just that outsider perspective. And the reason I'm mentioning this is, you know, for our listeners, you know, letting them know that it really is easier to jump into the X-Men universe than it would seem at first glance. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think I think yeah, there's never been a time in the last 20 years when um, you you could sort of move into a, into a, into a static situation. I think the the X-Men continuity is always moving, it's always changing. But I, I think I think you just jump in and you roll with it and you enjoy it. You know, you think, okay, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know who this character is, but I'll find out later. And um, yeah, in some in in a sense, that's part of the fun. I think. Right. Well. Um Marvel did release an image, and you probably can't tell us anything about it, but Marvel did release an image this week um, of uh, a, a teaser image uh, that said, We are the X-Men. And I don't, I'm sure you've seen it. You know, the silver X-Men symbol with the little blood on it. This episode will probably drop next Wednesday. And the reason I mention that is, are there any announcements that may be made between now and next Wednesday? Not that I know of, no. Uh, I'm, I'm going to duck this question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not a problem. What else is on the horizon for you? You've got X-Men Legacy going. You've got Unwritten going. Uh, can we look forward to another one of your novels? Um, yeah. There's a sixth cast of novel, which is um, already pitched and in theory accepted. But I'm, I'm also talking about doing a, um, a different novel, which I had been calling The Judas Window, and, and probably it won't come out under that title. It'll be a different title. 
but it's it's kind of a in some ways it's a conspiracy novel. It's a novel about family relationships with some kind of weird biblical overtones and um, with with a, um, a cross generational historical conspiracy going on. And pro- probably I will write that first. I will write that before Catherine Six. Um, that's going to be used to turn up shortly. I'm doing a, a lot of work on video games, uh, on a couple of different video games. I'm writing a, a movie screenplay um, called Silent War. Um, I'm keeping busy on a lot of fronts, really. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and I am absolutely appreciative that you took some time out of your busy schedule to, to finally talk to us today. Um, you know, I know we've had some issues with schedules, and I, again, am absolutely appreciative for, jo- for you joining us today. Pleasure, Paul. Well, thank you very much. You ha- enjoy the rest of your night. Okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. All right. All the best. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. I saw the piece on the thing. <laughs> you saw the thing's piece? <laughs> I, I did. It was rock. Was it rocky? <laughs> how, how does that how does it work? Does it does it scrape people? I mean You know it does. He's gotta lube the shit out of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just put on a condom, unlike Jonathan. <laughs> well, you know, the thing, he's ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>